Good song this morning. We have been looking at the life of Joseph in these last few weeks, and this morning we want to continue talking about broken hearts and shattered dreams. Last week we talked about the purity of Joseph's life, his promotion, and the promises that were given. And today we want to look at some of the broken hearts and shattered dreams that came in his life. Have you ever experienced the heartbreak of a shattered dream in your life? Many of us have. Everything was all set. You were sure things were going to turn out a certain way. And then the bottom dropped out and everything seemed to go crazy in your life. Maybe it was a child that didn't turn out the way you envisioned that they would. Perhaps it was a financial setback or the loss of a job that broke your heart. Maybe it was a marriage that didn't go as you had dreamed it would. It sometimes seems to us like life can be a series of shattered dreams, doesn't it? Sometimes it seems like when things start going wrong, they all go wrong, doesn't it? It's one thing after another, and that certainly was true in the life of Joseph. When our dreams are shattered, oftentimes it leaves us devastated. It leaves us confused and upset, and sometimes we might even be tempted to think that God has forgotten about us, or he's forgotten about the dreams and the goals in our life. We might even wonder if God has forgotten about the things that he's promised us in his word. I wonder how Joseph must have felt when these events that we read about in this passage took place in his life. I wonder if he questioned the dreams that God had already given to him. Surely when his brothers ripped off that coat of many colors and threw him into the pit and ignored his pleas and sold him into slavery and Joseph must have felt that his dreams were all shattered. He must have felt that God had made a mistake or God had forgotten what he promised. If these verses teach us anything, they teach us that life sometimes can seem to be incredibly unfair. How many of you have had your kids say to you, dad or mom, that's not fair? <laughs> Especially when they get, don't get to do something and somebody else did, that's not fair. Well, we know life is not fair, is it? But these verses teach us that our dreams and goals and visions for our life can be put to the test. They teach us that life doesn't always go the way we think it will. Things don't always happen the way we think that they ought to happen. Besides speaking to us about our dreams, these verses also speak to us about the harsh nature of sin. When we allow sin to reign in our hearts and lives, I remember years ago when Brother Delishmit was here, he preached a message one night, and, and I wrote down these three statements that he said, and I've heard them many times before, but he said, sin will take you farther than you want to go. It'll keep you longer than you want to stay, and it will cost you more than you want to pay. And in the end, these verses remind us that even when the dreams of our lives fall all around us and are shattered in pieces, God is still in control. Amen? He's still in control. If God gives you a dream, God gives you a desire, He gives you a goal, directions for your life, He is able to guarantee that they will become a reality. And He is able to fulfill them in your life. So let's look at some things in this chapter. First of all, I want you to notice Jacob's demands. Jacob had some demands that he gave to his son Joseph, and 
He gave him his command, first of all. Look at verse number 12 again, and it says, And his brothers went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. And Israel said unto Joseph, Do not thy brethren feed the flock in Shechem? Come, and I will send thee unto them. And he said to him, Here am I. And he said to him, Go, I pray thee, see whether it be well with with them, with thy brethren, and well with thy flocks, and bring me word again. So he sent him out of the vale of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. Now, Jacob wants Joseph to go and to check on the welfare of his brothers. The brothers are off. They're away from the family. They're tending to the father's sheep. And there's a couple of reasons why Jacob wanted Joseph to go and check on the boys and see how things were going. First of all, they were in Shechem. And that was a problem because it was in that same area that Simeon and Levi had murdered an entire village to avenge the rape of their sister Dinah. And surely there was a lot of anger in that area. And Jacob, I think, feared for the safety of his own sons. But then also his sons had proven that they were not trustworthy in the past. And Joseph had already had to bring to his father an evil report regarding some of his brother's things while on shepherd duty And Jacob probably wondered what mischief or what evil are these boys up to now. And so he wants Joseph to go check on them and find out how they're doing. He was wondering what was going on. And and so he trusted Joseph. He could trust him to go check on the others and come back and tell him the truth about what was going on. So we see his command. Notice also his confusion. Evidently, Jacob was out of touch with all that was happening in his own family. He had some struggles of his own. He appears to have been a a father that was occupied with all the things that are going around him and perhaps even the needs of his own family, but he wasn't paying attention to the fact that the older brothers hated this younger brother, Joseph. He should have known that their hatred was growing and had reached a point where they couldn't even speak peaceably to him. If you look back early in the chapter, in chapter 37, look at verse 4. It says, And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. They couldn't offer the peace, the normal peace greeting was shalom for the, for the Israelites, and they couldn't even offer that greeting to him because of their hatred that they had. He was not aware, Jacob, of what was going on and perhaps not aware of the fact that these older brothers could harm or would harm the younger brother. And as we will see, they were not only capable of harming him, they were capable of murdering him. Now, if there's a lesson in this for all of us here, I think it is that parents need to pay close attention to what's happening in the lives of their children. You need to know who their friends are. The Bible's clear about that. Wrong friends can ruin their lives. Wrong friends can destroy their testimony. In 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 33, the Bible says, Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. We need to be careful who our our children are friends with and involved with. We need to know how they're spending their time. We need to know how they're spending their money. We need to know what's happening in their life, and we need to know what they're looking at on the Internet. We need to know what they're text messaging and and what's on their cell phones, and you as a parent have a right to know that. Get their passwords. 
You need access. You need accountability. Now, I can promise you, your children will demand their privacy. <laughs> but as long as they're living in your house, their business is your business. Passive parents will pay a high price for allowing their children to do as they please. And by the way, husbands and wives need accountability too, don't they? Vicki knows what my passwords are when she can remember them. <laughs> and I know what hers are when I can remember them. <laughs> How many of you like me, you got to go hunt those passwords sometimes when you got... And find what it is, and then you can't figure it out, so you got to punch that little line that says, forgot password, and you got to go through all that process again. But we need accountability, amen? As husbands and wives and as dads and moms and our children. So we see Jacob's demand. Secondly, I want you to notice Jacob's devotion. Jacob's devotion. In verse 13, we find that his devotion was immediate. His father tells him to go to check on the brothers, and verse 13 says, And Israel said to Joseph, do not thy brethren feed the flock in Shechem? Come, and I will send thee unto them. And he said unto him, what's the next three words? Say them with me. Here am I. Here am I. The immediacy of his devotion to his father, without question, Joseph accepts his father's assignment, and he leaves home to go find the brothers and see what's going on. He knows the risks that are involved in that because he knew his brothers hated him. But his obedience to his father's command was his first priority. In this matter, Joseph was a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. When Jesus came into this world, he was sent by the father. But he came willingly, ready to come and to be a sacrifice for us. Jesus did not have to be forced to come into this world. He didn't have to be forced to die on the cross for sinners. He came because it was his father's foreordained and determined will. And I believe that our lives ought to be marked by the same level of obedience to our God as the Lord Jesus Christ and as Joseph to his father. When God speaks, we ought to humbly resp re respond immediately to him to say, yes, Lord, whatever it is you want me to do, I'll carry out your will. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 3 says, For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. By the way... Had Jacob known when he and Joseph said goodbye that day that it was not just for a few days, it would be 22 years before he would see Joseph again, do you think maybe their parting would have been a little bit different had they known that? It is in God's mercy that the future was hidden from both of them. And could I remind you it is in God's mercy that sometimes he hides the future from us too. Praise God, we do not know the future. There's some things we'd like to know, but thank God we don't know them. So we see his devotion. Secondly, you see that this devotion not only was immediate, but it was insistent. It was insistent. In verse number 15, it says, A certain man found him, and behold, he was wandering in the field. And the man asked him, saying, What seekest thou? And he said, I seek my brethren. Tell me, I pray thee, where they feed their flock. And the man said, They are departed hence, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dotham. And Joseph went after his brethren, and he found them in Dotham. Now, when Joseph arrived at Shechem, and he didn't find his brothers there, where his dad had sent him, and a man tells him they had left Shechem, they had gone to Jotham, 
Many people would have concluded, well, I've fulfilled my responsibility. I came to Shechem. They're not here, so I'm going back home. But that was not the case with Joseph. He was insistent on carrying out his father's will. He didn't turn around and go back. He kept going. He kept asking. He kept looking. He was carrying out the father's will, even though it meant going beyond the original command that was given to him. Again, Joseph is a picture of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus came into this world to seek and save the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He pursued them with steadfast love, but you know as I do that they rejected him. The Bible says he came unto his own, and his own received him not. And when they did not receive him, he continued to pursue them and eventually went to the old rugged cross and suffered and bled and died not only for Israel, but for all of mankind to open up a way of salvation that anybody and everybody could be saved by faith in Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus was not deterred by man's rejection and hatred. He loved sinners. He died on the cross to set us free from our sin. We ought to have the same desire in our hearts and in our lives. Nothing ought to prevent us from accomplishing the Father's will. We're to be persistent and insistent in doing what God wants us to do, regardless of the cost or the pain, or the opposition. We're to seek to serve the Lord in everything that he asks us to do. I don't know about you, but I want to reach the end of my journey knowing that I did everything he told me to do. I want him to be able to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And Joseph certainly could hear that from his father, and we want to hear that from our heavenly father someday too. So we see Joseph's or Jacob's demand we see Joseph's devotion thirdly I want you to see the brother's depravity the depravity of these brothers is found in these next few verses verse 18 through actually all the way through verse 30 but look at the brother's plot in verse 18 it says and when they saw him afar off even before he came near unto them they conspired against him to slay him and they said one to another behold this dreamer cometh Come now, therefore, and let us slay him and cast him into some pit, and we will say some evil beast hath devoured him, and we shall see what will become of his dreams. Isn't it interesting, the plot that they're imagining and planning and figuring out? Could I say to you, whenever you begin to plot out things like this, be careful. When you got to connive and twist things around and figure out, watch out, it's a warning sign, it's a red light. Joseph arrives at Dothan. His brothers see them coming. The hatred begins to stir in their hearts. And that hatred actually has grown into literally a desire to murder their own brother. You know, had they dealt with that hatred way back here when it first started out, they could have prevented all of this that was taking place later on. But they didn't. They allowed the dislike for their brother to, to grow into full-grown hatred and even a desire to murder him. You see, the true nature of these men is on full display in these verses. First of all, they have a desire in their hearts to kill Joseph. You know, the Bible says that if we hate somebody, we've committed murder in our hearts already. We have to be careful that we don't let those dislikes grow into hatred. And the Lord gives us strong warnings about it. 
They hated him so much they were willing to put him to death to get rid of him. Get him out of my sight. Get rid of him. And then they ridiculed him because of his words. They called him this dreamer. This dreamer cometh. There's not a hint of brotherly love in their voices. There's not a hint of brotherly love in their action. They were so callous that they wanted to kill him and they wanted to toss his body, his dead body, into a pit. They would cover up. They got it all figured out. They believed that they could derail Joseph's dreams. Remember, we talked about those dreams that one day they would bow down to him and they didn't like that. So we'll get rid of him and that'll derail his dreams. But they had no concept, but behind this whole thing was a sovereign God that was still in control. This is what happened to the Lord Jesus when he came to this world. He came to save, and the people that he came to save rejected him and hated him. And John 1.1, as I said earlier, came to his own, and his own received him not. In Matthew chapter 26 and verse 65, it says, Then the high priest rent his clothes, saying, He hath spoken blasphemy. What further need have ye of witnesses? Behold, now ye have heard his blasphemy. What think ye? They answered and said, He is guilty of death. They hated Jesus for his words, for what he said just like Joseph's brothers. They rejected his message and they desired to see him dead. They, said, they answered and said, he is guilty of death. Why? Because they believed that killing Jesus would end his message. Just like Joseph's brothers thought, if we kill him, that'll take care of those dreams. But they were dead wrong. They saw to it that Jesus died, but they could not see to it that his death would accomplish more than his life. They could not see to it that he would get up from that grave three days later and conquer death and hell and the grave. And we still enjoy the privilege of salvation because of what took place at that resurrection. I believe we all would do well to examine our own hearts and our own lives. If there are seeds of sin that are beginning to grow in our hearts and in our lives, we need to deal with them now. Get them straightened out and cleared out. If they're left alone, they'll grow and become mighty trees in our life that'll have roots that'll grow down into every area of our life. That's the nature of sin. Getting them out of our life sometimes will be hard work and sometimes we'll leave incredible damage behind. But remember, as Song of Solomon 2.15 says, it is the little fox that spoil the vines. And so we find here that these brothers are wanting to destroy their brother. Notice then also Reuben's proposal. We see the brother's plot. Look at Reuben's proposal. In verse 21, this is one of the brothers, Reuben, and it says, and Reuben heard it. He heard that they want to kill him, throw him in the pit, and say some evil beast has devoured him. And Reuben heard it, verse 21, and he delivered him out of their hands and said, let us not kill him. And Reuben said unto them, Shed no blood, but cast him into the pit that is in the wilderness, and lay no hand upon him that he, might, that he might rid him out of their hands to deliver him to his father again. And it came to pass when Joseph was coming to his brethren, they stripped Joseph out of his coat, his coat of many colors that was on him. And they took him and cast him into the pit, and the pit was empty. There was no water in it. And they sat down to eat bread, and they lifted up their eyes and looked, and behold, a company of the Ishmaelites came from Gilead with their camels bearing spices and balm and myrrh, going to carry it down to Egypt. 
Reuben displays for us his nature as well. He is weak. He's vacillating from one position to the other, talking with the others about killing, and then he wants to somehow preserve him. In Genesis 49, it tells us that Reuben was the firstborn. He, was, he had more reason to actually to hate Joseph than all of the other brothers because he knows that from the dreams that Joseph has given, been given and from the code of many colors that we talked about last week, that he has been chosen to become the head of the family instead of Reuben, who was the firstborn. On the other hand, Reuben knows that it's his responsibility as the firstborn to protect his younger brother. And that if he does not bring him back, he's going to have to face his father. And so he tells the rest of them, we shouldn't kill Joseph. Boy, what an amazing compassion he had. Let's don't kill him. Let's just throw him in the pit and let him die out here in the desert from some wild animal or from the bad weather that comes. Of course, Reuben was planning to come rescue him later and get him back to his father. But again, the hatred of the rest of the brethren is evident in the fact that they're willing to go along with this plan. What a wicked bunch of brothers this was. How would you like to have brothers like that in your family? They want to get rid of you. Huh. Some of you are thinking, boy, I think that's my brother. Right now. I hope you don't have a brother or sister like that. Notice Judah's, Judah's plan in verse 25, the end of the verse there. He says, Behold, a company of the Ishmaelites came from Gilead with their camels bearing spices and balm and myrrh going to carry down to Egypt. He said unto his brethren, What profit if we slay our brother and conceal the blood? You know, what profit do we get out of killing him? Let's sell him and get some money out of this. And so that's what they did. It's interesting in this particular passage of Scripture, there's no record in here about Joseph crying out and begging for help in these verses. But in Genesis 42 and verse 21, the Bible makes it clear that he did cry out and they did turn a deaf ear to his pleas. Genesis 42, 21 says, And they said one to another, We are verily guilty concerning our brother in that we saw the anguish of his soul when he besought us and we would not hear. Therefore is this distress come upon us. They heard, they saw. Can you imagine how Joseph must have pled with them, don't do this to me. Don't do this. And they heard that, and later on, when they were in a bad shape, they said, this has come on us because of what we did to him. Now, evidently, in our chapter, Reuben had to leave and go elsewhere, and while he was gone, these Midianite merchants come, and they're headed to Egypt to sell their goods, and, and so Judah convinces the other brothers that they should sell Joseph and not kill him. After all, he is their brother. Interesting, their compassion. He's our brother. Let's don't kill him. Let's just sell him as a slave. Huh. And the rest of the brothers liked that idea, and so they went along with it and did it. And Joseph is sold for 20 pieces of silver, verse 28 tells us. That was the price of a crippled slave in that day. His brothers sold him like a piece of trash. They sold him for eight ounces of silver. I looked up the price of silver today. It's about $186 they got for their brother. Sold him into slavery. These brothers were so insensitive. They were so filled with hatred for their brother Joseph that they sell him to merchants and they watch him as he's being hauled away, taken off to a foreign land. And Psalm 105 verse 17 tells us that Joseph's experience as a slave was nothing short of difficult and unpleasant experience 
It says in Psalm 105:17, He sent a man before them, even Joseph, who was sold for a servant, whose feet they hurt with fetters. He was laid in iron. Wasn't a very good experience to be sold off into slavery like Joseph. But again, he's a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was hated by his brethren. He was also betrayed by the very ones that should have loved him. Matthew 25, verse 26, verse 15 says, And he said unto them, What will ye give me? And I will deliver him unto you. And they coveted with him for thirty pieces of silver. Judas, as we know, betrayed the Lord Jesus Christ. But I'm so glad that the Lord Jesus Christ loved us so much that he endured the suffering and the shame and the pain and the agony of the cross at Calvary and he died for people like you and me. Hebrews 13 verse 12 says, Wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. Let us go forth therefore unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. And then I want you to notice Reuben's panic. In verses 29 and 30, he comes back and it says, verse 29, he returned into the pit and behold, Joseph was not in the pit and he rent his clothes and he returned unto his brethren. He said, the child is not and I, whither shall I go? In other words, he says, he says, Joseph is gone. How can I go back and face dad? Whither shall I go? I, I've got to hide. I've got to run. And you see his panic that he's experiencing. Reuben has been on the outs with his dad already, Jacob, because he knows that his father will blame him, but he had committed adultery with his father's wife, Bilhah, earlier. And these verses give us, I think, a little bit of hope that Reuben is maturing a little bit. He's resembling somewhat of a leader in this particular case. So we see Jacob's demand, we see Joseph's devotion, we see the brother's depravity. I want you to notice Jacob's despair. The father's despair in verse 31, they took Joseph's coat and killed a kid of the goats and dipped the coat in the blood. And they sent the coat of many colors and brought it to their father and said, this have we found, know not whether it be thy son's coat or not. Notice the brother's scheme. Again, they're plotting, they're working, they've taken the coat, they kill a goat, they dip it in the blood, they're planning all this. How are we going to get this all through? These three brothers conspire and cook up a plan. This time, though, it's to deceive their own father. They take the despised coat that they did not like and dipped it in the blood of the goat and took it home to Jacob. Isn't it interesting how one lie always leads to another? When you tell a lie, it's not long until you have to tell another one to cover up the first lie. And then you have to tell a third, and then a fourth, and it keeps going on and on and on. I think all of us would agree the best policy is always to tell the truth, regardless of the personal cost. Tell the truth, be honest, and do what's right. And then you see not only the brother's scheme, but you see the brother's severity. The severity in verse number 32, it says, They sent the coat of many colors, and they brought it to their father and said, This have we found. Know not whether it be thy son's coat or not. They didn't say, This is our, our brother's coat, or we think it's his. You tell us whether it's his or not. 
There's no compassion for their father. There's no compassion in their words. They bring him that blood-stained coat, and they ask the father to identify the coat. Is it Joseph's or not? These men have no heart. They could care less about anything but themselves and their own advancement in the family. You see, if Joseph's out of the way, then one of us can be the head of the family. Then we can progress. This world is filled with people just like that. They don't care about anybody else just so they can progress and improve and climb the ladder to the top. They don't care who they have to step on to achieve their goals. They don't care what they have to do to climb another step on the ladder. They care for nothing but getting their own way all of the time and do not care about all the people they hurt in the process. Something is desperately wrong with a person like that. Most likely... They're not saved and don't know the Lord. Most definitely, they're not displaying a Christ-likeness in their life. You see, our walk with the Lord is to be marked with a desire to place others ahead of ourselves. To place others ahead of ourselves. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4 says, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, But in loneliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. And then our walk is also to be marked by a desire to ease the burdens that are borne by others. You see, these brothers had no concern for Joseph or the father. They didn't care about easing their burdens. They're putting more burdens on them. Galatians 6.2 says to you and me, we're to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We're to care about our brothers and sisters in our own family and in our church family, in the Lord's family. And then our walk is also to be marked by a Christ-like love for those around us. We're to have a love for those who are around us, care about them, love them, help them in whatever way we can. In Matthew 22 and verse 39, it says, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thy what? Love thy neighbor as thyself. 1 John 3.14 says, We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. 1 John 4.8, He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. And again, 1 John 4 verse 20 says, If a man say, I love God and hate his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? You think Joseph's brothers loved him? No, quite the opposite. They hated him, didn't they? They didn't have the love of God. We don't want to be like Joseph's brothers, amen? We're to have a Christ-like love and a Christ-like spirit. And then notice Jacob's sorrow in verse 33. It says he knew it. He knew the coat. He recognized it. He said, it is my son's coat. An evil beast hath devoured him. Joseph is without doubt rent in pieces. These boys didn't step in and say, no, 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 that's not right. That's not what happened. They didn't interfere. They let dad assume that's what had taken place. Verse 34, And Jacob rent his clothes and put sackcloth upon his loins and mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, For I will go down to the grave unto my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. The sorrow. Jacob recognizes the coat. He knows it belongs to Joseph, and he immediately assumes that his beloved son has been killed and is dead, killed by some wild beast. 
And Joseph, or Jacob rather, is heartbroken and he falls into the depths of despair. He refuses to be comforted by his own family. And he says, I will go down to my grave brokenhearted, mourning, grieving for my son. And these cold, calloused men have broken their father's heart, but they could care less. They didn't care about what they had done. Then notice the brother's shame in verse 35. It says, all of his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. He refused to be comforted. This hard-hearted man reveals their hypocrisy by trying to comfort their father in his grief. I can just see these these men, Joseph's brothers, they're trying to, to console dad knowing that they're lying, knowing that they're presenting a false picture that they really cared. Not a single one of them, not a single one of these cowards had the courage to stand up and tell Jacob the truth. And in the end, the interesting thing is, Their father was better off than they were because he lived every day with grief, but they lived every day with guilt of what they had done. The knowledge of what they had done ate at them until they had to face Joseph with the truth many years later, and that's the power of guilt. You know, it's interesting how God brings things around full circle and we end up having to face our sin and our failure. It'll eat us, eat at us, until the problem is dealt with. And so the best thing for you and for me is to deal with the wrongs in our life and deal with the sin in our life. Make them right if we can. We need to apologize to the people that we have offended. We need to restore what we have taken without permission. We need to get honest about the sins in our life and and get rid of that. That's the only way we can get rid of the guilt is if we deal with the sin. Thank God for 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now this is, I realize, a sad place for us to stop in this story. Joseph is gone. He's sold as a slave. He's headed off to Egypt in chains. Jacob is brokenhearted and inconsolable. The son's... This beloved son, Joseph of Rachel, Jacob's source and chosen one to be the head of the family, as far as he's concerned, is dead and gone. The brothers are guilty because of their terrible sin against their own brother, against their father, against their family, against their God. They're being eaten alive by guilt. And here's a prosperous, promising family that's been plunged in the depths of gloom and hopelessness. It would appear that Joseph's great dreams have ended. They'll never come to pass. At least that's what the boys think. Behind the scene of this terrible tragedy moves the unseen hand of a sovereign God. What appears to be a hopeless situation is merely setting the stage for the hope in the future. There's a word for us here as well. There are going to be times in your life and my life when things seem hopeless. There'll be times when the shattered pieces of our dreams lie all around us. In times like that, we must not despair. Instead, we cling to the precious promises of the Word of God. Romans 8, 28, we know that all things work together for good 
to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Psalm 37, 23, the steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord and he delighteth in his way. Job 23, 10 says, but he knoweth the way that I take. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. We must understand that despite how things appear to our human eyes and our human reasoning, God has a plan and nothing can derail the plan of God. Think for a moment with me. Joseph now sold into slavery. It's going to be quite a few years until he's raised up secondly, second to be second to Pharaoh and to provide food for all of his family and God's going to bless in a magnificent way. I want to say to you, those years in between there are difficult times. Sometimes in our life, there's some difficult times that we have to go through. But we keep our eyes fixed on the Lord, knowing that we can trust Him. What are we going to do when we weep and mourn like Jacob did? Are we going to cling to the promises of God? Are we going to trust that He's the judge of all the world and all the earth, and He'll make all things right? He always does right. Bring your shattered dreams to the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ and trust Him to help you. We don't want to miss Jesus in all of this. The people that he came to save rejected him and pushed him away. Pushed him all the way to an old rugged cross where he suffered and bled and died. And when they saw him die, they claimed the victory. But just like Joseph's brothers, the very ones that desired to kill him were the very ones that he came to save. They threw the Savior into the pit of death. They buried his body. Three days later, he came out of the grave, victorious over death and hell and the grave, victorious over all of his enemies. And he fulfilled the dreams of his father and of his followers. And he will fill your dreams, fulfill your dreams and mine too, if we'll follow him and keep our eyes fixed on him. Do you have any dreams this morning that you need help with? If you come to, to the Lord and talk them over to Him, He'll help you with them. Do you need to be saved this morning? Come and give your life to Him. Do you need to follow Him in baptism? Come and obey Him. Do you need to join this church? Come and do that. Do you need to deal with some bitterness or some anger or even some hatred in your heart and life? Come and bring that to Jesus. He can help us with all of those things in our life. He wants to. He will. If we'll bring them to him. Let's bow our heads together in prayer. Lord. Thank you for this story of Joseph. It's a tough one. When he's sold into slavery. And he's lied about to his father. And the brothers are dealing with their guilt and their struggles. But it's not the end of the story. And we may have our dreams shattered and we may have some failures and difficulties in our life, but it's not the end of the story. Help us to do like the songwriter said, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand together with me as we sing? I want us to.